Welcome, my friends, to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus, our co-host on this edition. Adam, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you. Adam, we are in the middle of a culture war, like it or not. That's where you are. It's a cultural war. And the other side is getting far more aggressive. It's not as if we are always on offense. We are more on defense today than we ever have been. Uh, we're facing persecution as Christians if we do not enthusiastically embrace the zeitgeist. Now, the questions of for Christians, do we fight? Do we get ugly? Do we roll over and play dead? Do we act the nice guy? Do we walk away and just try to avoid the whole thing? I think a lot of Christians are trying to figure out how that works, whether they are you know, working in a woke workplace or whether they... Uh, happen to be living next door to gay neighbors, quote unquote, or, you know, whatever the situation, maybe they're in a church where the teenagers are coming out. And now we've got to decide whether or not there's got to be some discipline going on within the church. And, uh, you know, uh, possible you've got to excommunicate or disfellowship folks from the local church. We're just in the midst of a raging apostasy. We're in the middle of an aggressive zeitgeist that is absolutely anti-Christian and dead to rights going to persecute Christians. So, wow, the whole environment has changed. Now what? Well, Alistair Begg is a uh, fairly conservative sort of pastor. I think he uh, he uh, airs his Truth For Life program on Salem, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, his, uh, his church is located in Cleveland, Ohio. And recently he's come out and said, okay, if your grandson's gay wedding's happening, go, go, and go, and give him a gift, you know? And join into the celebration. I think that's pretty much what he said. But let's get let's get it straight from the horse's mouth on this quote, Adam. Before we get on with it, this is Alistair Begg uh, comment on whether to attend your grandson's gay wedding. But were it not for his compassion towards me, and in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, "My grandson is about to be married to a transgender person." And I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I asked the I asked the grandmother, "Does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus?" Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance? Uh, in any affirming way, the choices that he has made in life. Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, Mm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Mm. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce The fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. All right. So that was the the comment uh, he made. And... Well, and it wasn't a gay wedding, obviously. It was a a wedding to someone who is transgender, which is no marriage at all, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the insane relationships that are being cultivated today, and and then uh, treated as some kind of a faux wedding or faux marriage. Uh, so 
Wow, Owen Strahan took uh, Alistair Begg to task a bit on this, and we're we can get to the the article in just a moment. But in the past, I have said you go to a homosexual wedding if you want to, but you've got to hold up a sign indicating that no homosexual will inherit the kingdom of heaven, uh, which is you know a quote from First Corinthians chapter six, uh, meaning that you've got to speak the truth, and your presence there would be interpreted as some support, and giving them a gift would indicate something of a support for what is happening in the celebration itself. And I I believe it ties directly into uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, We are not to contribute to the lie. We're not to pretend like we support the lie. Uh, it's not a wedding, it's a play act, but it's not for us to, you know, attend and by our attendance to signal the fact that we believe it's something beyond the play act. And I, I, I just think we, we need to continue to stand on the fact that this is an abomination to God and, uh, and that th- there's just no way in which we can support anything like this. We can't support the relationship. We can't support the, the, the sexual sin. We can't support the idea of the marriage itself. That's, that itself is an abomination. All of it's an abomination. Uh, I think it would be better if Alistair Begg would interact with the biblical ethic tying directly into this. Uh, and I, th- this, to me, is the more fundamental problem with so much of evangelicalism today is that, uh, you know, we, we we speak of the gospel, but we have really very little interest in what Jesus has told us to do. Jesus has said, why do you call me Lord, and yet you don't do what I have commanded you to do? I think it's a very good question. Uh, I think, and to put it another way, why do you call me Lord, and you're not interested in any of my commands enough to even consider them or to discuss them or to bring them out? Uh, and the food offered to idols passes is the passage that ties directly into these heathen festivals and heathen celebrations that uh, Christians are invited to attend. Uh, so I just don't understand why guys like Alistair Begg don't interact uh, with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to a dinner, you desire to go eat whatever's set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. In other words, if you're just going to eat, eat a meal, that's fine. But if someone says this was offered to idols, in other words, the significance of this event is that uh, we are celebrating a heathen idolatrous service or we're celebrating a homosexual union of some sort and thereby celebrating the, the, the act of homosexuality, uh, then don't eat. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. In other words, don't give him the implicit or explicit impression that you are supporting in any way what is going on in the heathen service. Now, it's also interesting that Paul follows up and says, but give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. So, in other words, don't be intentionally offensive. And in that regard, I, I would agree with Pastor Begg that we are not to give unnecessary offense. Nevertheless, uh, let's follow up with, we, we certainly should repudiate anything of uh, support for a heathen service or this, this heathen ceremony. Let me say this. You mentioned that Alistair Begg is carried by Salem Radio. And that's true, but he's carried by a whole lot oh, more right? than just oh, Salem radio that. outlets. He's carried on 1,800 oh okay. radio outlets. 
To their credit, the American Family Association, which has American Family Radio, decided to remove Alistair Begg's Truth for Life broadcast from their radio network because of this particular comment that was aired on his program. Hmm. I commend them for that. Uh, Alistair Begg, listen, Alistair Begg is one of the good guys. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and we're not talking about Joel Osteen. We're not talking about some leftist. That's right. We're talking mm-hmm. about Alistair Begg, mm-hmm. who in his own biography is touting that he is a believer in the inerrancy, the supremacy of scripture, the saving power of Christ alone. He has said that the core belief of Parkside Church in Cleveland, mm-hmm. Ohio, is, mm-hmm. quote, that mm-hmm. Jesus right. Christ, the Son mm-hmm. of God, has died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and that to know him is to know life both now and forever. Jesus Christ is the only Savior because Jesus is the only mm-hmm. one who is qualified to save. So this man knows better. I am hoping that because he made this declaration publicly and we're calling him out publicly, that he will publicly say, you know what, after thinking about it, I was wrong. You should not attend a wedding that is celebrating any sexually perverse lifestyle, whether it's transgender or homosexuality, and you certainly shouldn't give a gift because that communicates that you affirm that particular sin, which is something Christians cannot do. And I, I do believe that if he drew in First Corinthians chapter 10 and actually applied the Word of God to the area of ethics, uh, that would be helpful. In other words, let's just not spout off our opinions, but let's go directly to the Word and find how the Word speaks to the individual situations that we're dealing with. And I think that uh, the Food Off to Idols passages are extremely important right now, not just in the pre-Christian age in which uh, the Apostle Paul lived, but in the post-Christian age where we live today. Uh, Be back with more in just a moment. There is a battle of the culture warriors going on. We're in all-out war, and some are caught in the crossfire. You know, we may turn into a circular firing squad as well if we're not careful. Uh, Yeah, circular firing squad is not a good idea. That next on Generations. Stay with us. Hello, my friends. For the last 15 years, the Generations team has produced a Christian curriculum specifically for families who want to give their children a God-centered, Bible-saturated, biblical worldview-based education. Our commitment is to restore the Christian faith, generational faith in an age where we are losing faith in this country and almost anywhere around the world where Christian children attend secular schools or use secular curriculum and imbibe secular culture. Now, we're not relying on the pre-Christian Greeks for an educational model here. We're not relying on the post-Christian secularists for the education model either. Our curriculum is based in a biblical worldview. We put hundreds of Bible verses in the history books and integrate the truths into the subjects. We want to glorify God on every page of the science books. We immediately integrate knowledge into life application and natural revelation with special revelation. We keep Christ at the very center of the history books with preparing the world for Jesus and taking the world for Jesus. I believe God is calling this generation in this highly secularized age to a radical change in how they disciple their children. Please check out our program for education of your children and grandchildren at www.generations.org.
And we are back on Generations. This is Kevin Swanson. And, uh, man, we are in the midst of a bloody culture war, Adam. And I want to give a culture war update from the front lines of the war. We are at all-out war, and some are caught in the crossfire. It's possible that some of us will turn the whole thing into a uh, circular firing squad. Hopefully that's not the case. Uh, There's sometimes a little bit of a lack of trust in others who appear not to be as committed to the good side as they ought to be. And uh, we wonder if perhaps there might be a few more who will take the other side, cross over. And we've seen that happen as well. So all of this uh, constitutes something of a difficult time for Christians, especially right now as the zeitgeist has heated up and uh, is pressuring Christians to move, uh, to compromise, to concede. Uh, And let me just give you a a few updates here. Kevin DeYoung, Kevin DeYoung, a pretty well-known writer, issued a salvo soft criticism of Douglas Wilson. And we've quoted Douglas Wilson a number of times. Of course, we've had him on the program before. Kevin DeYoung has performed analysis of Doug Wilson, criticizing him for his persona, his overuse of humor, his uh, use of unsavory language, his pride, really, ultimately coming down to pride issues, his juvenile approach to the battle, etc. Then Andrew Iskew, we're going to deal with this guy. He's the author of The Boniface Option. He performed analysis on Alistair Begg, and, uh, and you've got that in front of you, Adam. Compared him to UFC fighter Sean Strickland. I, I no familiarity with Sean Strickland. Not as if Sean Strickland is some amazing culture warrior for the side of Christ. I wouldn't say that's the case. But he had some less than complimentary things to say about homosexuals and transgenders and the prime minister of Canada to boot. But uh, here are the players. Alistair Begg is the Reformed Baptist-type pastor out in Cleveland. Uh, Andrew Iskew is a pastor of an evangelical church in Minnesota. Kevin DeYoung is a Reformed pastor somewhere, not sure where. Doug Wilson is a Reformed pastor in Moscow, Idaho. And Christian Post editorialist has criticized the culture warrior Andrew Iskew in another post today. So, so that's I guess the field <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so uh, Andrew Iskew, he's got this uh, piece that he put together. I think this is on X, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's comparing Sean Strickland and Alistair Begg, uh, and Sean Strickland is the UFC fighter. Okay, I'm not familiar with him. Yeah, I haven't been either. I had to look it up. Turns out he uh, he made some comments about homosexuality and transgenderism, and were you know not complimentary. That was he was anti. But I I I mean he you know spotted in references to the f word and such as well. It's you know hugely concerning, of course. But then Andrew Iskew, who is the author of a book called The Boniface Option writes this little piece, and I think we should probably clarify the Boniface option. Uh, This is a comparison with the uh, Benedict option, the other book, the Benedict option, in which uh, the approach to the culture war is more of a back away, you know, let's let's develop our monasteries, let's disciple uh, our men, and let's not be as concerned with what's going on with Rome. Rome is burning to the ground anyway, so who cares? I mean, I'm not saying that's exactly what the Boniface or the uh, Benedict Option is about, but it is a bit of a more of a uh, separatistic approach. Whereas the Boniface Option is the idea that we are to, you know, tear down these extremely 
dangerous and destructive forms of pagan religions and uh, and bring the Christian religion into play. Uh, so it's a little bit more of an offensive approach in comparison to the Benedict option, which is more of a defensive approach. So that's Andrew Iskew. Now, he compares Sean Strickland and Alistair Begg and, uh, and takes really the side of Sean Strickland over Alistair Begg. The subtitle for Andrew Isker's book, The Boniface Option, is revealing. It says, a strategy for Christian counteroffensive yeah. Yeah. in a post-Christian nation. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is an evangelical pastor uh, who's entering Up into in this, Minnesota. This, this debate. Right. Fourth uh, Street so, Evangelical Church. Yeah. yeah. And, and why don't you just give us a flavor for, for how he takes this, uh, this comment from Alistair Begg. Well, he said pulpits are filled with weak men like Alistair Begg who have all the outward trappings of godliness, while a man like Strickland has none of that. He doesn't even claim to be a Christian. Strickland doesn't. Or put forth any of the wholesome affections that you're expected when you do. Strickland is just a man who told the truth when the whole world demands that he lie. To do that requires the kind of intestinal fortitude that comes from the male hormone and the rare self-differentiation a man at the pinnacle of his craft has. So, Andrew Isker, author of the Boniface Option on X, says the pulpits of American churches lack men such as these. We, in fact, banish such men from ever hoping to pursue this calling. We put in place every possible incentive for men to be weak-willed, man-pleasing hirelings. Uh, this guy, Isker, doesn't mince his words. I, was like, I want to read his book. The best men will do anything else than suffer under the most intense, yeah. stultifying pressure. I think he's being a little heavy-handed, painting with an overly broad brush. I don't think Begg deserves quite the venom he's getting here, but I do agree that Begg was mm-hmm. wrong in counseling mm-hmm. his grandmother to attend the wedding with the transgender and give a gift to boot which seems to have, not seems to, but does indeed affirm that sexual perverse relationship. So instead, he writes, Andrew Isker writes, you have geldings like Beg who can spend decades in quiet, nice, respectable ministry, but inwardly be total cowards worthy of nothing but disgust. There's a desperation for men who act like men to lead. You can see it when you see the reaction to Strickland. Conservative evangelicalism is desperate for men to lead. But the pathways for men as men to climb their way to leadership are completely cut off to them from the start. Respectable, winsome, Alistair Begg evangelicalism is dead and soon to be buried. It does not matter how much money they have, what institutions they have, the publishers, the seminaries, the big churches and denominations. He's getting a little carried away with his uh, typing at at the computer. But I hear the ultimate point he's making is let's not cave to the culture the church needs to lead even if the culture hates us and we and the world hates us and we know they will in fact jesus said it's the case in john 15 verses 18 and 19 i love how jesus puts it if the world hates you keep in mind that it hated me first if you belong to the world it would love you as its own As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Yeah, and again, we need to be cautious about um, defining 
uh, a pastor, Alistair Begg, by a single comment he made in one of his broadcasts. My guess is there's more to his ministry, there's more to the man, there's more to what he has accomplished than what we hear from this excerpt. Um, But let me say a few other things. I believe there's a point at which you need to take the gloves off. I do believe that's the case. Jesus took the gloves off in Matthew 23, and John the Baptist did too, and lost his head for it. You know, I mean, so there's a point at which you do need to take the gloves off, and you need to be plain. You need to speak the truth. Uh, You also need to be willing to take the death threats uh, when they come. Um, So you can't, sometimes I think these guys are not quite ready to take the death threats you know they're not quite ready to go all the way to the end and so i yes we need men we need courage we need men willing to die and i mean really die that is they hold their lives loosely and they love not their lives even to the death so i i do believe that there needs to be men who will be men and who are willing to give up their lives i i think that's a that's a crying need for the day so yes not the only need but it is a significant need Somebody needs to speak the truth. Sanity in an age of all-out insanity with a crystal clarity and an unusual force. So I agree with that. The goal of which is probably to wake Christians up, to knock people off the fence, first and foremost. I don't think we're convincing you know, the unbelievers. We're not convincing the Biden administration by our strong rhetoric. That's not happening. But if at any point we can knock a few Christians off the fence and strengthen some convictions concerning God's truth, more power to them. But manliness and strength and force is not the only virtue. The culture war is not the only war either. As pastors, I think we need to be concerned with a full-orbed gospel uh, orientation, a, a full-orb discipleship and everything Jesus has commanded. The culture wars sometimes present a few dead horses we can beat indefinitely to the delight of those who like to watch people beat dead horses. <laughs> You know, so, uh, but you have to be careful with that. You know, you have to be careful with your internet habits that you can eventually become uh, so focused on beating dead horses uh, that you gravitate to the same dead horse beating session over and over again. And that's not exactly edifying. It's not really going anywhere for you or for anybody else. Another consideration that I throw out here as well, and I know this ties into you know some of the culture war out there but literary types of people are also very much drawn to method rather than message as people can become enamored with the method the clever turn of a phrase the writing style the sarcasm the satire etc and completely miss the fear of god the reverence for god love for god the core message of the gospel whatever needs to be conveyed they'll they'll miss the message in preference for the method itself. So the force of the clobbering and the type of rod used becomes the focal point. And I'm concerned that uh, some of the Doug Wilson followers might fall into something like that. Uh, We can also be too taken with the enemy out there rather than the enemy that is within. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and 6. I 
think I've mentioned this probably four or five times in the past, but Paul says that we're to take down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God in Christ, and avenge all disobedience, but when? Only after our obedience is matured. So, in other words, you know, clean up your own act first, and then you can get out there and have some influence upon other aspects of uh, the culture. I thought that Owen Strahan's take was more balanced, and uh, I appreciated it as much as I liked the fire uh, in the belly of Andrew Isker. Now, Owen Strahan is the senior fellow for the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. He's also the author of a number of books, most notably Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It, and The Grand Design, Male and Female, He Made Them, uh, two of his several books he's written. He writes... First, Beg has earned trust from Christians. It's hard to find a man, in fact, who is more respected in our time than Alistair Begg, and rightly so. He's preached the truth for decades. He's preached the faithful message about homosexuality being wrong. He strives for a godly balance of grace and truth. He's been one to learn from. He seems like a man who you would want to have a meal with and does not come off as a dour, severe, gloomy doomsayer. Second, Owen writes, Beg is prone to stumble as we are. He's just a man. He's called to a daily walk of confession, repentance, humility, and growth like every other believer. In fact, moments like this can actually be quite redemptive for the church. Third, we should not attend compromised quote-unquote, wedding ceremonies. He said, I believe that Begg's counsel is unsound. Christians should not attend transgender ceremonies. And I love these uh, about six quick bullet points. He says, the Bible does not enfranchise transgender identity. We are either man or woman per the creational design of God. Number two, the Bible speaks clearly to attempts to blur the lines of one's God-given sex. It is always wrong. Number three, marriage is defined in Eden and reaffirmed by Jesus. It's between one man and one woman, and God is honored only by such unions. Number four, attending a wedding ceremony is commonly and rightly viewed as affirming the union in question, as is giving a couple a wedding gift, as Beg encouraged the grandmother in question to do. Next, he says, Christians should therefore not attend transgender ceremonies, which in truth do not feature an actual wedding at all. Which is why, Kevin, to your credit, you refer to it as a faux wedding or a faux marriage. God recognizes no such union as holy or permissible in his sight. And he says Christians should love people identifying as transgender in every way they can. That does not so much as hint of affirming this sinful identity, though. So this gospel proclamation urges the sinner to say no to sin and eternity in hell and yes to the Son of God, crucified for the guilt, so that we may be totally forgiven. And he he concludes Owen Strahan by saying, finally, we should pray for Alistair Begg and for us all. He said, I've responded publicly because public teaching calls for public correction, much as I regard Begg as a father in the faith. I'm praying for him and encourage other believers to do so as well. The conclusion he draws here at the end of his piece is uh, this is not a small matter. It is not a tempest in an evangelical teapot. It is a very serious matter. Like the men at Lot's door in Sodom, we are urged with great intensity to cave here 
but we cannot do so. The church cannot capitulate to the culture. That's right. And that's what I said. Right. We we have Mm -hmm. to stand strong. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Well, and I want to step back one more time and just simply say, how are we handling the culture war? Um, And I, I, I think Owen Strand's comments on Alistair Begg, very good. He's also jumped into the Kevin DeYoung's critique of Douglas Wilson and compares courage and carefulness, encouraging the use of both. So Owen Strand has come into these. I think he's trying to be a referee and a moderator in the culture war. Um, you know, the, the, the guy who's yeah, everybody's out there fighting, but there's there's got to be a referee's overseeing what the hockey players are doing uh, to each other as they're whacking each other over the head with the hockey sticks or whatever it is. Uh, but I like the fact that Owen Strand has compared courage and carefulness that, that, you know, there's a point at which those who engage courage want to jettison carefulness, but we never ought to be doing that. Uh, Owen recommends both courage and carefulness. Another way to put it is courage and wisdom, both. Generally, a Holy Spirit application of the gifts of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, meekness, and meekness, all important in the communication, in the, uh, the, the, the battle of words. And remember also that... Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God through the tearing down of strongholds. So in other words, we're not using the same method that is being used by the ungodly in these conversations. Another good comparison, as I see, is also humble boldness. Remember, one of my seminary professors encouraged both humility and boldness. Bold people sometimes lack humility and humble people sometimes lack boldness, yet God calls us to both. And I think what resolves this is more of a vertical perspective in the culture war itself. Because remember, we're speaking and acting before God, quorum Deo, not so much concerned with how we're received by our friends or our enemies, but how we're received by God. So I think if we maintain uh, a fear of God, a reverence for God, uh, giving an answer to any man who asks for a hope that is within us, but doing it with meekness and fear, both humility and the fear of God. And I think if we retain that vertical uh, that vertical perspective, uh, that humble boldness, we will maintain that balance that is so critical in the culture of war. Nonetheless, if I had my druthers, Adam, I think I'd rather go for somebody who speaks the truth with less finesse and perhaps a little less love than somebody who never speaks the truth at all. So you follow me there? Yes, if you never quite get to the truth, yes. we, we most definitely need truth for life. So I, I'm on board with Alistair Begg to that extent. But uh, but I think if I had my druthers, I'd rather go for somebody who speaks the truth with less finesse and perhaps a little less love than somebody who never quite gets to speak in the truth at all. And that's Paul's point in Philippians 1. Very interestingly, here's what Paul says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So so I guess I would just stand with the Apostle Paul that I'm just thankful somebody's out there speaking truth. 
you know now we can be you know get to the point we need to add some finesse certainly humility is essential uh let's be sure that uh we're conveying ourselves clearly and uh, certainly in love for god that's first and foremost and love for others as well let me end with this. I think some of these men think that we are on the cusp of a breakthrough uh, in the culture war, that a little more force against the brick wall and we'll break through in an amazing victory in the culture war. I think they're mistaken. Uh, their mission and agenda is not foundational enough. They haven't dug in for the long run enough. They haven't taken the challenge seriously enough. I believe the Benedict option is more immediately needed than the Boniface option, although both have flaws. Boniface was the missionary that built the church out of the sacred tree of the pagans. Benedict started up discipleship centers when Rome was burning to the ground in the 500s. Uh, but the church right now in the West is somewhat spiritually bankrupt, and I think what we need is to disciple our nations, to disciple our young men one more time. I think we need to lay some more fundamental foundations first before we're going to have any long-lasting effect on the culture war. We're sitting on our own two-yard line, yes, and the other team's got the ball. We may be here for a while, but we don't give up. We don't turn wimpy. We need to play an aggressive defense and some offense as well. That's the strategy as I see it. Get a copy of my book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. I have a final chapter on our strategy right now for the 21st century in that book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.